Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit outreachchurch.net for downloads and service information. You know, that's, that's why knowing the Word of God is so important. Is because if you know His Word, then you can take those promises in the Word and you can actually believe them and you can bring them before Him. The Word talks about bringing, make, bringing Him in remembrance of His Word and reminding Him of things He spoke over your life. And so, if it says in the Word, Oh no man, anything but to love them. If that's, a, if that's something that God Himself has spoke, Oh no man, anything but to love them. Then that means that there's a place that we can be in Him where we actually owe no man anything but to love them. And so we get before Him. We say, God, this wasn't my idea. Like, I didn't wake up one morning and think, wow, I should just owe no man anything but to love them. I should not have any debts. I wonder if you get on board with that, God. No, we can get up. We can say, God, You said this in Your Word. This is the declaration You've given me. You've said that I'm to owe no man anything but to love them. And right now, I don't exactly see how I can do that. But if You've asked me to live in a way, God, You're not like a, a bad father that tries to frustrate his children. If You've asked me to live this way, then that means You've made a way and I can find that way in You, God, that I can live out everything You've called me into. And so you just get before him. So if he talks about like, like the Lord loves this or, or it's the desire of God for this, every one of those are a promise you can grab a hold of in your life and you can take to him and you say, God, this is what you've called me into. And I don't even see how. But I know that if you've called me to live this way, that there's a place that I can find in you, God, where not only can I live this way, but it's a joy to live this way. Where I'm not getting up every day and having to struggle to do it, God. Although some days may be a struggle. And I love what David said about like, you know, at mile 13. How many of you guys know you start things sometimes so good and with a word from God. And then you get halfway in and all of a sudden your legs start cramping. You get halfway in and something starts to happen. And we're so discouraged sometimes and we're so quick to turn and say, well, maybe I didn't hear the Lord. Like, I promise you the temptation was probably there for you to be like, maybe I missed him. Maybe God said to run a half marathon because I only made it 13 miles and then my legs... No, but we'll do that, you guys. If we're not careful, we'll let our circumstances start speaking louder than what God's already spoke to us. And we find ourselves justifying things and saying, well, maybe God only said this. Maybe God, maybe you only wanted me to run a half because I'm at 13 or, you know, maybe you had to miss it. Maybe this was just my idea. Maybe, but instead it's like, no, I've locked in God. I know what you've said. I know what you've declared, God, and I'm going to believe that and I will do what you've called me to do. And for 13 miles, you're just gritting it out. And it would be awesome if they were playing music and angels were singing when you crossed the finish line. But the truth is sometimes the only people that see the reward is you. But it's establishing something in your heart that down the road for years to come will produce fruit and many people will eat of the fruit of your obedience to the Father. Um, so if you have your Bibles, um, we're going to jump around the book of Acts a little bit. I want to talk this morning about something that has been uh, really on my heart this past week a lot, but, but, um, but actually just a few times on and off over the past couple of months. And I want to talk just a little bit to us about, about the value of, of being encouraging people and, and, a, and a desire that I have to see our church family be a body of people that actually know what it is to truly encourage each other and how we encourage. And so um, who's the most famous encourager in the Bible? Everybody knows this, right? Barnabas, right? The son of encouragement. He's the one that the Bible talks about encouraging uh, and he actually calls him the son of encouragement. So he shows up in the book of Acts, in chapter 4. Um, and this is right when the early church is starting. This is when they have taken the disciples and they've thrown them into prison and they've beaten them for preaching the Gospel. And it says they got out and they prayed, Lord, let Your, let your Spirit come and give us boldness that we can keep uh, proclaiming the Gospel. And so they've settled this thing in their hearts. Like, it doesn't matter what happens to us. We're going to continue to do this. But the church is just starting. It's at a young, critical stage. How many of you guys know that like so many things... Right, good things and bad things. When you first throw an acorn into the ground, you cover it up with soil, you see nothing going on, the little roots are starting to form under the ground. And the first time that shoot pokes its head above ground is the easiest time to remove that thing. You can walk over with two fingers and you can rip an oak tree out of the ground when it's first starting. That's why when you first see anything pop up in your life, let it run through that filter. God, is this one of the things that you've called me to meditate on? Is this good, true, excellent, lovely, worthy of praise, of good report? Let your life have a filter. God, does this look like what you've promised over my life? God, is this what you've called me to? You start seeing things pop up. Don't just let things grow unchecked. 
Because the longer they grow, the stronger they become. And, and, and in a few years, that, that oak tree has now put down some decent roots. And you can go over maybe with two hands and you can really strain and you can put your feet against the ground and you can pull that thing up out of the ground. But it's now way harder to get out of the ground than it was when it first popped up where you could have walked over with two fingers and simply removed that oak tree from the ground. And if it stays there for years and it gets established, this is both an encouraging thing and a warning for us. Because anything that is allowed to grow will establish itself. Anything that is not removed, that is fed, that is watered, that is allowed to grow will establish itself. And those roots start going deeper and deeper. And now after some years have gone by, you can't get enough friends. You can't even pull it out of the ground with a pickup truck. And the enemy knows this is true about your life. That's why when, when you first start, just when something new is coming to your life and you're just excited about what God's doing, you're going after it, all of a sudden, see, what was happening in your heart, he can't see what's going on in your heart. God looks at the heart. Man looks at the outside. The enemy has no idea what's going on in your heart. But as soon as that what's happening in your heart starts to bring, bear fruit in your life, suddenly you're on his radar. You've popped into his radar. And now he's going to come after you, I promise you, because he thinks the easiest time to rip that from your life is right now before before it gets established and before you become rooted and grounded in the truth. And he'll do everything he can to come out. Don't be surprised because you step out into something and you walk into it and you say yes to God and all of a sudden there's this fruit of this yes in your life and then all of hell comes against you. And in that time, we could be tempted if we're not careful to say things like, well, I guess this, this is what, it, what happens when I fill in the blank then maybe it's not worth it or, or, or get, get our, our frustration, our anger towards God, the one who's causing good things in our life and allow ourselves to shake our fist at heaven if we're not careful and say, God, if this is what it looks like to serve you, then I'd rather not. Come on, be careful. Be real careful. Because He never promised you an easy life. He said His yoke is easy and His burdens light. That means if we're doing what He's called us to do, the power of God with us, walking with Jesus, means that there's nothing that we can't do. But it still says there's a yoke on my shoulders. That means there's still a field to plow. Come on, I still have to put one foot in front of the other and keep walking and stay in step with Jesus. If I get out ahead of Him, the burden isn't easy and light anymore because I'm carrying the weight. If I get behind, He's having to drag me along. It's no longer easy and light. But if I stay just in step with Him, God, what are you doing? God, today, what does it look like to walk with you? But I still have to keep putting one foot in front of the other because there's still a field that needs to be plowed. Because nobody puts a, a, a yoke on an oxen, on a pair of oxen. Nobody unless there's a job to be done, unless there's something to be accomplished, unless there's a task at hand. Well, we're human, we're human beings, not human doings. Listen to me. You were born for good works. You were created for good works that He prepared beforehand that you should walk in them. You still have to walk in them. There's still works. The difference is, is you're not doing these things so that you can become something. You're doing these things because of who you've become. We get those things twisted around if we're not careful and we start calling holiness legalism if we're not careful. Like we're trying to work our way into something. No, I couldn't work my way in, but now that I'm in, there's work to do. Come on, there's a kingdom in front of us. There's a world out there that is listening to the God of this world. He's the God of this world. Paul writes that, that the God of this world has blinded their eyes. That means there's a God in this world that is blinding people to truth. And it's why people like us have been called into the world. Jesus said, you're the light of the world. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And the Word came, and it was light, and man hated the light for fear that their, de- their deeds would be exposed. And then Jesus, who is the light, says to His disciples, says to you and me, you're the light of the world. You. So go find darkness. Bring light. There's no shadow He won't light up. Guess how He lights up shadows? It's by light entering into the picture. Guess who's the light of the world? We are. So you don't wake up every day thinking, how can I have an easy day, God? How can I have such an easy day, God? Don't let anything come against me. No, you know what the truth of the matter is? We should wake up in the morning with this mindset. God, you show me where I need to bring light. I was talking to someone recently, and they were telling me about a situation uh, with a family member. They said, you know, I just, I just, this, they just don't like me, and, and, and I know that they, they're just, they're caught up in this, they're caught up in that, and I want to love them, and, but they won't, even, they won't even acknowledge me. They see me, and they turn the other way, and I said, I said, so what have you done? They said, well, nothing. If that's how they want to be, you know, if they want to be like that, I said, listen to me, you can't allow yourself to start thinking that way. 
Of course they look the other way and they see you. Why? Because they're in trouble. They're being influenced by a demonic oppression. If you could see in the Spirit, there's a black cloud circling them with its hooks and its talons in them. And when it sees you coming, it sees the light of the world coming. You think it wants them talking to you? It wants to isolate them. Of course he's bringing up past hurts. Of course he's whispering lies into their ears. Look how smug he is walking up here. How, what did he, does he must not know what he's doing? All this stuff is what they're hearing because they're being lied to because the God of this world is trying to keep them isolated because the last thing he wants is them engaging in a conversation with the greatest power that's ever existed and that's Christ in you. You've got to see it for what it is and quit taking it personally and quit saying, well, if they don't want to talk to me, then I guess I'll let them have what they want. No, they don't want to talk to you because they don't understand that talking to you might be the very thing that they need to walk in freedom. And the enemy wants to keep them isolated and he wants people like you to abandon them so that they don't hear truth because you might be the only person speaking truth into their life. See it for what it is. Get up in the morning knowing I'm alive for Him. I'm alive for God. I'm alive for other people. I'm not even alive for me. My life doesn't even belong. Your life doesn't even belong to you. You were bought with a price. That means you don't even belong to yourself anymore. How could you get up and live for yourself when you don't even belong to you? Come on, and Christians get offended by this stuff and and we allow things to come into our lives. We allow sin to cause offense in us. That's why it talks about that if, if you see someone in sin, you who are spiritual, restore them in a spirit of gentleness and humility, lest you too be caught up. And people think, well, be humble, otherwise you'll fall into the sin that you're trying to minister to. That's not what it's talking about all the time. Sure, that could happen. But I believe what he's saying is stay humble so that what they're in, you don't get offended by and allow yourself to be found in sin too. Be careful that the sin against you doesn't allow you to become offended. Stay humble. Stay gentle. Stay like Him. Stay focused on what's going on here. Stop taking it personally. Quit getting so offended by broken people acting broken. They're broken. That's why they do it. They need to be whole. Jesus came to set the captives free. He came to bind up the brokenhearted. And then He said, as the Father sent Me into the world, so I also send you. What does that mean? That means I'm on earth to what? Set captives free because Christ is in Me now. To bind up the brokenhearted, to declare the gospel, the good news, to preach. It's the favorable year of the Lord. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day that your whole life can change. That everything could become new and all things could pass away. And you carry that promise in your mouth everywhere you go. And the enemy wants to shut you down. Why would you ever let somebody's actions shut down the Spirit of God inside of you? The only way we do that is if we start taking things personally. And we start making it more about us and what's been done to us than about Him and what He did for us. We lose sight of that and everything gets muddy. Everything becomes a mess when we lose sight of that because now we're living for ourselves and now we're making judgments against people. Well, if they loved me, they wouldn't. No, listen to me. If they knew better, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. That's why He said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. My people. He didn't say sinners and unbelievers and people that don't know me. He said, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. My people, good people, Christian people, your family members. Lives are being destroyed because of what they don't know. And you have the truth inside of you. How would you ever let what they're doing scare you away or push you away or drive a wedge in between you? Come on, we have an example. It says, consider Christ our example, who though He was without sin, when reviled, did not offer revile in return. What does that mean? It means he actually was perfect. That's what Peter's pointing out here. Because sometimes, you know, we're not even perfect in these things. We've done our part sometimes. You know, maybe we've allowed something said to us to cause us to have a reaction that maybe isn't, isn't loving, isn't Christ-like. Maybe we've even played a little part in these things. Maybe we've allowed somebody what they've said about us to affect our heart and now we can't even see them for who they are because all we can hear is that what thing that they said about us and all we can think about is defending ourselves in the moment when we're looking at them rather than seeing them for who they are and for what's going on. But Jesus was none of that. He actually was perfect. What is he, Peter saying? He's saying, listen, if anybody had a reason, if anybody had an excuse, and if anybody had the ability to when things were said to him to answer back, it was Jesus. Yet he didn't do it. Why? Because he wasn't here to defend his life. He was here to lay it down so that you could have yours. Come on, what if we actually got a hold of that? I'm, I'm serious. 
the, I've been lately, I've just been weeping. Me and Patty have been talking about this. The gospel's so simple. We make it confusing and hard because we're trying to justify what we're not rather than being excited into what we're called into. But it's really simple. I love you. That doesn't mean I love you as long as you. It just means I love you. And will something that you do ever hurt my feelings for a moment? Maybe. Will something that you do disappoint me because of what you've done? Maybe. But listen, if you have children, you understand this. You never lose sight of who they are because of what they've done. You can, your children can do the most horrible thing ever and you hate what they've done and you hate the effect of it. You hate what it's going to bring into their life. But you love them. You don't stop loving them. You don't get offended and say, well, you're not my child anymore. Come on, but we'll say that about other people. Well, you know, I'll just, if that's how they want to be, they can just have their, if that's how they want to be, they can stay over there, but they're not going to touch. It's not about them touching you. It's about you touching them. Why did Jesus run to the leper and put his hands on them? Why? Because he was more convinced of what he carried than afraid of what was on them. We got to get to that place, you guys, where we're more convinced of the power of what's in us than we are afraid of what might be on somebody else. Because greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. That means there's nothing out there that's more powerful than what's in here. Nothing. The only one who can shut that down is me. The only person that can shut down what's inside of you is you. You can allow yourself to get to a place where you say, well then, if that's how they want to be, and all of a sudden we're living in such an unbiblical way and we feel so justified about it, and that's where we need people around us that will speak the truth to us and truly encourage us. Not encourage us by making us feel better in our ungodly decisions. Come on, listen. I, I, I'm going to be real, real straight this morning because I feel the weight of this thing a lot. And, and I, I promise you I'm not saying anything I have, I'm saying out of a need to set you straight or any of that kind of stuff. It's out of love because I've seen the power of it in my own life. So just hear me out. The last thing that you need is someone to come along and agree with an ungodly emotion, an ungodly decision, or an ungodly uh, action that you've done and make you feel justified in it. That's the last thing you need, no matter how good that would feel in the moment. It doesn't help anything. That's why we have to know the Word of God. This is why you have to know the Word of God because how can you even tell somebody truth if you don't know the truth? It's truth that sets people free. That's the only thing. It doesn't say good feelings. It doesn't say any of those things set people free. I'm not saying there's not time to be compassionate and to tell people, look, I'm sorry that you're dealing with this. Obviously. Walk into a situation with compassion, just like Jesus did. But if you leave them with nothing but compassion and you don't actually love them enough to tell them truth, especially when you see that the enemy is having a field day with them. You walk into a situation, you see someone that's been hurt and the things coming out of their mouth don't line up with the things that Jesus called us to. You've got to start saying, okay, God, I know you sent me here for a reason and I want to love them and I'm not here to offend them and set them straight. But if I really believe your word, then I believe what they need to hear at this point is truth because obviously, there's somebody speaking lies obviously they're hearing lies from somewhere you you think the enemy backs off when you're going through a hard time no he comes in like a flood why because he thinks it's an opportune time remember what he said about jesus remember that when jesus was was out in the wilderness to be tempted he said that, that he came to him and he tempted him with all these things why did he come to him at that time because he saw jesus was weak because he sees what's on the outside he doesn't see that in his heart jesus has been fasting and alone with the father for 40 days and he's so strong in the lord that right now he's stronger than he's ever been he looks at the outside and he sees a man who's hungry and who's tired and who's weak and so and alone and so he thinks well i've got him right where i want him he doesn't understand jesus is far from alone because the spirit of god is with him because he was led by the spirit that means he was spending time in the wilderness in the desert, with the Spirit of God communing with the Father, fasting. His flesh is just destroyed. There was no sin to begin with in Him. The only thing sin could try to do was get into Him from outside. Can I tell you that when you get born again and you become new, a new creation in Christ, there's nothing in you. All that can come is from the outside coming in. I promise you, you walk in this world, you're as clean as Jesus. When you get born again, you are as clean as Jesus. His temple is holy 
And that is what you are. It's in your Bible, I promise you. You're no longer sin. Well, you know, brother, my, filth, my righteousness is filthy rags. You're right. So trade your righteousness in for His righteousness because He became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. And you're in Him. And now it's out there trying to find a way in and all it's looking for is a foothold. That's why Paul says don't give the enemy a foothold. Why do you have to give him one? Because he can't take one anymore. You were born with a foothold. When you got born again and all things became new, that foothold disappeared. Now you have to give him one. And one of the ways that we give him one is we allow things that are done to us to produce thoughts inside of us and then responses. That's why Jesus said, don't you know it's not what goes into a man, but what comes out of him that defiles him. What's he saying? You're in this world. Things are going to happen. It's not that the thing that you see or the thing that you hear that defiles you. It's what you do with that and your response that actually defiles you. Why? Because you can take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. You can be like Jesus, tempted in every way which was common to man, yet without sin. What does that mean? It means he saw, he heard, he, he experienced the same things you and I did, yet his response was never less than love. That's why he was without sin. And that's why Jesus said it's not what goes into a man, but what comes out of him that defiles him. You're not a product of the environment that you're in. You're a product of the environment that's in you. I promise you, you're not just a helpless product of the environment. You're in, well, I can't help it. You know, I go to work all day and that's what I'm surrounded with. You ever think that maybe you're at work surrounded by that because God wants to change them, not because God wanted to change you? God already changed you. Maybe He trusts His Spirit in you enough to send you into a place where people around you need to hear what's inside of you. And we're so worried about trying to get a different job so that we can get away from that stuff. And the whole time God's saying, no, I don't want to give you a different job to take you out of that. I took that out of you so that I could put you there and you could bring the kingdom of heaven there. But if we're looking for an easier day, we're taking things personally. Well, they say mean things to me. Guess what? They have mean things inside of them because their heart is not renewed. Their life is not renewed. Their spirit is not renewed. And they're being tormented. Of course they're looking for someone to torment. They don't need you to run away. They need you to tell them the truth that sets them free so that they can actually be free from the torment, not so that you can stop here. Because guess what? When you leave, guess who's coming? Another person. Guess what they're going to do? Torment them. Why? It's what's in them. It's got to come out. So you can see that as a reason to run away or you can see it. We, listen, we have to be people like we talked about last week with, with Elisha and his servant. Where the servant's freaking out and Elisha's absolutely so solid in the Lord. He's so solid in the promises of God. He's so established in truth that he can't even get himself to freak out. And the only thing he can imagine is if my servant's freaking out about what the enemy's doing, it's only for one reason, and that's because he can't see what the Lord is doing. God, don't take the enemy away. Open his eyes to what you're doing. If we're in a situation where we find ourselves freaking out about what the enemy's doing, it's not because we need God to take the enemy away. It was never God's heart to take the enemy away. Think about one place where he took the enemy away. No, it was about build, raising up somebody so that they could actually walk into the situation and bring the greater kingdom. He didn't why didn't he strike Goliath? Why didn't he just zap him with lightning when he came out and mocked God? Because then our answer for everything would be to isolate ourselves and stand up on the top of the hill and look at the giant down in the valley and say, get him, God. That would be what it is. We would, we would separate ourselves and we'd say, well, God will deal with this because He always deals with this. No, no, that was never His heart. His heart was, there's got to be somebody out there that believes me. There's got to be somebody out there that can hear what the giant's saying and respond from a place of trusting me rather than trusting what the giant's saying. We're putting our faith in one or the other. The Israelites put their faith in Goliath's threats and it kept them from walking down to the valley. David put his faith in the promises of the Lord and it made him run to the battle. They could have, I promise you, they could have sat on the side of that valley till Jesus came back praying for God to destroy the giant. And God wasn't going to destroy the giant because God was waiting for somebody to believe Him and see themselves as the answer to the problem because they understood, God's with me. Maybe God's called me here to deal with the giant. Maybe God's not shocked when I showed up and everybody was angry and wanting to torment. Maybe God's not in heaven looking over Jesus going, well, we blew that one. Why did we send Him there to work? 
when he's surrounded by those people. Jesus. we got to fix this. I promise you, he's not in heaven shocked that you're surrounded by. He's not in heaven shocked that you're dealing with the things that you're doing. He's in heaven believing that what's inside of you is greater than what you're facing. And he's just waiting for you to believe that too and then act that way. That's why Jesus is standing up at the right hand of the Father, not sitting when he sees Stephen respond from lo- in love to people who want to kill him. Why? Because Stephen gets it. I'm not alive for me. I'm not here to have a better day. I'm here because God loves me. I'm here to love God and I'm here to love you. And right now, you need to know the truth. And I'm going to speak the truth to you even if it costs me my life because my life doesn't belong to me anyways. It's not mine to protect. I don't even own it anymore. I don't have to defend myself. I don't have to protect myself. But I do have to do this. I have to believe that what you need is true. Because I see what's in your heart by what's in your hands. I see what, who you're listening to and I see what you're being influenced by because of what's, by what's in your hands. And when you've got stones in your hands and murder in your eyes, there's a problem and you need the answer. And the answer isn't for me to run away. The answer isn't for me to tell you, look at you, you're so evil, I can't believe you. The answer is Jesus. We've got to see these things and quit taking it personally. I promise you, life is set up to shake everything that can be shaken out of your life. Because that little sprout starts to come up and the enemy goes, oh no, they're getting established. Oh no, roots are starting to spread. Oh no, there's a tree coming. And if I don't do something now, there's going to come a time where it's so rooted and it's so established that I can't move it, though all of hell would come against it. So he's after you. I promise you he's after you. He has one goal. It's to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He wants to destroy your life. And he doesn't care how he does it. He doesn't care if it's you caught in sin or if it's somebody who's caught in sin sinning against you. If He can find a way in and get you to eat that fruit, that seed will start to reproduce inside of you. But God believed that if you would eat of Him, that seed would start to reproduce inside of you so that when someone sins against you, what they get a taste of is Jesus. And now there's suddenly there's something that can reproduce inside of them rather than evil good. That's why you overcome a harsh word with kindness. You overcome evil with good. It never says you overcome evil by running away. Ever. You know, there's only one thing it tells you to flee from. Sexual sin. That's the only thing the Bible tells you to flee from. Other than that, you step in. Why do you flee from sexual sin? Because you're to avoid the appearance of evil. You're to avoid the appearance of evil. So that means you can't stand there while something's happening and say, my heart here is to witness because other people, even if that is your heart, could be watching and be stumbled and be tripped up by what you're doing. You flee from that stuff. All right. Is it worth trying to get to my notes? (laughs) So a lot of this is in my notes, so it's kind of the, you know. um, So I I just want to point out, I'm going to go through these um, a little bit uh, quickly, probably, but I think that's how it's supposed to be. So, uh, if you look at it, Acts thirty-four, or Acts verse four, um, verse thirty-six. Sorry, chapter four, verse thirty-six says, "Now Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement. His name is Joseph. The disciples call him the son of encouragement. Why? Because he's an encourager, not because he's the son of an encourager. The son of encouragement. Jesus called." James and John, the sons of thunder, not because their dad was thunder, but because of who they were, right? So we understand that, okay? I just want us to get that straight, that the reason they called him the son of encouragement is because he was a son who walked in encouragement. And it says, and he owned a tract of land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So this is at that time when those roots are just going out, that acorn's starting to sprout, the enemy's coming after the church, the enemy's coming after the word, he's coming after them, they're being persecuted, and along comes a Levite, somebody who was from a priestly line, and he comes in and he says, listen, I want to encourage you guys, I have something, I'm going to sell this, I'm going to lay this at your feet, because I want to give you something to encourage you. So the first place that we find, we find three instances of Barnabas being an encourager. The first one, um, what we see is that his encouragement at times cost him something. It might cost you something at times to encourage people. It might mean that something that you have wasn't just for you, but it was actually for you and for other people. 
It might mean that the things that God has trusted you with are not just for you, but they're also for others. Paul said, that which I received from Christ, I shared also with you. And and he talked about communion. What's he saying? I received something from Jesus, but it wasn't just for me. I came and shared that with you. Sometimes it'll cost you. Sometimes it will mean you have to get over your fear of man to to, to do what it is that it takes to encourage people. Sometimes you have to actually say, God, I'm going to go and encourage them, and this is the last thing that I feel like doing in this moment, but I know what you've called me to, and I'm not going to live by my feelings. That's why those things are so, it's so, such a big deal that we stop living sensually by our senses, by our feelings, and we start living by the Word of God. Because otherwise, you'll only encourage when you feel like it. The problem is, a lot of times when people need encouragement is the last time that you actually feel like going and encouraging them. Because you look into the cage and you see a lion with its claws out ready to strike. And all you can think is, if I walk in there right now and I try to encourage them, I'm going to get attacked. Maybe you will. But guess what? If nobody goes into the cage, the lion stays there with its claws out. And so, it, it, no, seriously, it costs them not just, look, not just financially, right? Like this example is finances, but first the natural, then the spiritual. It's with revelation, You know, it's with the joy that you have. Sometimes the joy that you've received from God, you're overflowing with that so that you can go and give that joy away to people so that you can encourage people. The revelation you receive, the truth that you receive, you're studying in the Word. Sure, it changes your life, but then it's for other people. You can walk into a situation. You can encourage them with what you've received from God. That's what Paul was talking about there when he said that. And here's the thing you understand. You understand this, that God will always give more to the one who's faithful to give away. So I don't have this just for me. I'm not just encouraged so that I can walk around going, holy, I am doing the best of anybody that I know. That's awesome. Now go find the person doing the worst and give it away. Because you're not, you don't have what you have so that you can walk around saying, this is just amazing. I'm so encouraged in the Lord right now. Maybe, just maybe, God encouraged you and gave that to you and put that inside of you and you sought Him out and you found this stuff because He has somewhere He wants you to take and deposit that. Start looking for God. What have you given me? What can I do with what you've given me, God, to be an encouragement to other people? How can my life be an encouragement to others? Um, and then we find the next time um, is in Acts 9.26. It said, when he came to Jerusalem, he was trying to associate with the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing he was a disciple. But Barton, you realize the, the disciples struggled with fear and unbelief. Just because you struggle with fear and unbelief doesn't mean that you're not a disciple of God. It also doesn't mean it's where He wants you to stay. Because that's next. But Barnabas took a hold of him and brought him to the apostles and described to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had talked to him and how at Damascus he had spoken out boldly in the name of Jesus. And he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly the name of the Lord. So Saul's converted, but his reputation goes ahead of him. Saul is still Saul to the church at Jerusalem. And these are the disciples. These are the people who walked with Jesus. These are the people who should be bold, right? These are the people who should never fear, should never have doubt, should always walk in everything that God has. Guess what? They didn't all the time. It's okay if we have times in our lives where that happens. What's not okay is if we decide it's okay to stay there. Because God's, God's plan is always to bring us from that place of doubt and unbelief. So what does he do? He sends Barnabas. What does Barnabas do? Barnabas comes alongside. He takes a risk. He actually steps out and says, no, listen, guys, I know what you're thinking, but here's the truth. Here's who he is. Here's who Saul is now. This is what he's been doing. He's been speaking and preaching the Lord, and I promise you, just trust me on this. And guess what? The disciples changed their opinion because of the encouragement of Barnabas. The son of encouragement steps into a situation where people are afraid and struggling in unbelief, and he tells them truth. And because of that truth, they accept him. It says, and he was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem, speaking out boldly the name of the Lord. Sometimes our encouragement on somebody else's life allows them to step into what God has for them. Sometimes you stepping in and saying, listen, the Bible says in in Proverbs, it says, don't sing your praises, let another man sing your praises. That must mean what? That there's a place for people who are walking in Christ to sing the praises of other people to other people. That we should be encouraging. Like, man, what if if when you talk to somebody, they were like, yeah, oh, you know what? So-and-so was just talking about you. And if there was nothing in our heart that doubted that what they were saying was good because we're a people of encouragement. Yeah, they were talking to me about you and what they were saying was, man, you're really growing in the Lord. 
Your name came up the other day. No, no fear that when my name came up, anything negative would be said. Why? Because I only meditate on and allow what comes out of my mouth to be things that are, trust, that are, that are truthful. See, sometimes we get hung up on that. We talk about people in a negative way and we discourage and we slander because it's the truth. That's only one of the filters. Get past that filter. What's everything's are lovely. Ooh, is it true? Yeah, but is it lovely? Is it excellent? Is it worthy of praise? Can I stand before God and praise Him for what I'm about to say about this person? If not, I probably need to pray for them rather than talk about them. And we can stand there and be right. Well, it's the truth. Awesome, it made it past one filter, but there's a bunch more. Keep going. And if it can pass through every one of those filters, then, only then, should I find that thing coming out of my mouth. I'm telling you, what we meditate on in our heart will come out of our mouth. Even if we see somebody completely caught in something, what should our focus be? It should be the promise of God over their life, not the discouragement because we see a lack of it at the mo- in the moment. What am I more aware of? Am I more aware of their ability to mess up or am I more aware of His promise to restore them and redeem them? And I'll tell you how you know which one I'm more aware of, which one I talk about. I promise. Because Jesus said it, out of the abundance of the heart is where the mouth speaks. So he steps out and he says, listen, I, guys, I, I, I just I want to tell you that. I want to tell you that, that, that he's not who you think that he is. And he takes this risk. And sometimes it will mean taking risks. Sometimes it will mean you saying something that isn't popular. Sometimes it will mean you looking at people who are just completely have their mind made up about something and you come in and you bring a word of encouragement. You step into their fear and their unbelief and you say, but here's the truth. Because they, they could have come back with all their own truth. We heard he did this and he was doing that and he was breathing threats and he had warrants and he was arresting and he was dragging off and he was there when they killed Stephen. He gave them permission. They could have had so much truth about who he was. But an encourager is not hung up on who he was, an encourager is looking at who he is, who he's called to be, and that's what comes out of his mouth. He doesn't say, guys, you know, he, I know he did this, and I know he did this, and I know he did this. No, he says, listen, this is, let me tell you who he is. He met God on the road to Damascus. What does that mean? It means everything's changed. He trusts that everything actually changed because he trusts the power of God to change his life. You want to know why? I believe Barnabas, who was a Levite priest, probably had his life radically changed by the Lord. And when our life becomes radically changed by the Lord, we believe that anybody can be radically changed by Him. So He steps into that situation and says, that's who He was maybe. I I know you guys are afraid. I know you have your doubts, but let me tell you who He is. And let me tell you why He is who He is. He encountered the Lord on the road to Damascus. And here's the fruit of His encounter. He's been boldly preaching the Gospel. It says, and He was with them, moving about freely in Jerusalem. What does it mean? They accepted Him in because of the word of somebody else who boasted about Him and what the Lord was doing in His life. What if we did that for each other all the time? What if we look to find things that we could brag about each other about? What if we looked for what the Lord was doing and we were so excited about that 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 was what came out of our mouths when people's names came up in conversation? Rather than, well, yeah, that's awesome, but... I've done it. Listen, I've done it. I've caught myself doing this where I'm like, what is it it that makes me need to point that out? Probably a little bit of insecurity in me and I need to make sure that you know that there's something wrong with them because I know there's something wrong with me and I need you to make sure that you know that they're not perfect because I'm so aware that I'm not. Come on. That's pride. Just deal with that. There's no need to even point that stuff out. Why? Because it doesn't make it past all the filters. So take that to the Lord in prayer and speak the truth out of your mouth. Acts chapter, all right this morning? Yeah, it's getting quiet in here. Everyone was really excited earlier. <laughs> Don't laugh too loud when you throw a rock into a pack of dogs. It's the one that howls that got hit. Acts chapter 19, verse 36. After some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brethren in every city in which we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Barnabas wanted to take John, called Mark, along with them also. But Paul kept insisting that they should not take him along who had deserted them in Pamphylia and who had not gone with them to, work, to the work. And there occurred such a sharp disagreement that they separated from one another. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and left, being committed to the brethren, to the grace of the Lord. And he was traveling through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. So here's the deal. 
Paul and Barnabas, who have been separated apart by the disciples for the work of the gospel, who are now traveling together. Isn't it amazing that somebody who walked in such revelation like Paul was the Holy Spirit called someone to come alongside who was an encourager? Why? Because I think sometimes if we're not careful, we get so consumed in seeing what's right and what's wrong that we can lose sight of being encouraged in the process. And I think Paul maybe has struggled with that a little bit. I think because you see where sometimes he was just like, mm, 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 and probably Barnabas was like, yeah, but dude, they're growing. <laughs> you foolish Galatians. Yeah, but they're growing, man. Look, listen, they've been doing this and they've been doing that. Why? Because if we lose sight of people in the search for truth, we'll oftentimes hurt people unintentionally. So he calls an encourager to come alongside Paul while Paul's young in the Lord and growing. It's the truth. And so, so they come to this place where this guy has deserted them before and was fearful and didn't dare to go and whatever the case was. And so Paul and Barnabas have this famous split. And I've always thought Paul was right, Barnabas was wrong because Paul was, you know, Paul. He's one of my heroes, right? He could basically do no wrong. And, but I'm starting to look at this and I saw this. I never actually had even considered this fact. As I was thinking about this and reading this, actually last night it came to me. What if they were both right? See, we have this tendency to believe that if we don't agree on something, one of us has to be wrong. Now, if we don't agree on something that the Word talks about, whichever one of us doesn't agree with the Word is wrong. We're not talking about that. We're not talking about, well, this is what I believe. No, well, if the Word believes differently, I don't really care what you believe. Your beliefs in $2.09 will buy you coffee at Starbucks if it's unbiblical. But not, I'm saying things where it's something we have to be led by the Spirit on. What if they were both right? What if Paul was heading somewhere where he was going to be imprisoned like he was? And so he, God knew, listen, I want to restore John Mark to ministry. Because his heart is just as much for John Mark as it is for Paul as it is for the people they're going to reach. Nobody gets left behind in the kingdom. What if God's heart was to restore John Mark? And he said, Barnabas, the encourager, who doesn't get hung up on who people were, but actually sees who people are. He says, I want you to take John Mark and I want you to take him with you to minister. And then he says to Paul, Paul, I don't want you to take John Mark with you. And because we get hung up in this thing where we have to come to an agreement on what God has said to us, otherwise one of us is wrong. They had a sharp disagreement. But what if they were both right? What if God knew that where He was sending Paul, John Mark didn't have the stomach for what was going on. And if he fell into discouragement and abandoned him again, he would probably hate himself forever and never actually believe that he was who God called him to be. So he wanted him to go somewhere with Barnabas where he wasn't heading straight into prison and where he could be with somebody who would see past what he had done and speak truth into his life. But he still wanted Paul to go to, to where Paul was headed where he was going to be thrown into prison. So he says, take Silas with you. Because guess what? Silas is the kind of guy that when you get thrown into prison won't think about abandoning he'll actually start praising with you and when the chains come off he'll go and find the jailer and preach the gospel to him with you and you Barnabas you take John Mark because I want to restore him and you take him and you do what you did with Paul and you speak for him and when people come against him and say isn't that the one that deserted you say no 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 he's the one who's traveling with me preaching the gospel what if they both heard from God What if the encourager had to come along? I just need to close up with this. What, 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 if it, what if it took the encourager coming along and saying, here's a man who, who's messed up in the past. Here's a man who chickened out, who abandoned us, who didn't go and work with us. And so because of that, I don't want him going along with this guy on this dangerous mission. How many know that everything in the kingdom isn't for everyone to do? That if God had good works that He's laid out beforehand that I should walk in them, they might look different than the good works that He laid out beforehand that you should walk in them. The only, different, the only thing that's common about both of them is both of us have things we're supposed to be walking in. And they could look totally different. So what if He said to the encourager, take Him with you? I just want to, just a side note. If we can find a truth in the Word, then that's what we agree to, no matter what we feel. Okay, let's get that straight right now. We're not talking about when it comes to biblical matters that God's clearly spoken on. Well, I don't know. I mean, I just think it would be okay to lie. In this situation, don't you? No, because the Word of God says don't lie. Like, that's clear. So we're not talking about that kind of stuff. 
But what about if it's something that we have to be led by the Spirit on? Because there's not actually a word in the Bible that says anything about, well, don't take him with you because one time he chickened out or something like that. So what if he actually heard from God? What if, what if it looked like, the encouragement looked like, well, I trust Barnabas. Why? Because every time I send Barnabas into a situation, he brings encouragement. And he sees who people are. He doesn't get hung up on who they were. And he's such an encouragement to people. If I send John Mark with him, John Mark will become everything I created him to be because this man will encourage him and believe into him even when he doesn't believe in himself. But i got to send Paul here because there's a jailer's family that I'm concerned about. There's a whole prison full of people that I want to reach. And I can't not send Paul there because he's my man that I'm going to put there because I know what's inside of him and I know that if he gets put into chains, when they squeeze him, what will come out is Jesus. i got to send Paul there. So I'll say this to Barnabas, I'll say this to Paul, and when they split apart, both of them will be doing my will. And in the end, the jailer will get reached, and so will John Mark. Just make sure we're not picking battles where God hasn't called us to. Just make sure we're not drawing lines that God hasn't drawn. Let's make sure we're not always so sure that it's black and white, either or, that maybe it's both. That maybe the heart of the Father was for John Mark as much as it was for the jailer and the people Paul would reach. And if either of them doesn't listen to what God's saying, that's why both of them have to be convinced. And that's why you have to know the Lord for yourself. Because otherwise, how would someone stand up to Paul? I mean, think about it. Like, this is, this is Paul. This is the guy who penned two-thirds or more of the New Testament. This is the guy who Jesus trusted with the, with the truth of the New Covenant. This is Paul. He's kind of a giant in the faith. And he's saying, no, we're not supposed to take him with us. If you don't know and you're not secure and confident that you hear from God, you could find yourself very easily backing off of a word and saying, oh, I'm sorry, John Mark, you have to stay here and leave someone behind feeling rejected when really God's heart is that both happen, that he gets rescued and so does the jailer. You've got to know him. You've got to hear him. You've got to be confident enough in what he said, not in yourself, not prideful. There, I don't think there was anything prideful in Barnabas and Paul. I think they both were truly convicted of what God had spoke to them, and I think they were probably both right. Not in a cocky way, but in a way that says, listen, I know that's true, but I know a greater truth. I know that He abandoned us once before, but I'm telling you right now, the Father has spoke and said to take Him with me in ministry. Well, Barnabas, that may be true, but I know what God's called me to do, and He's told me not to take him. In fact, I'm supposed to take Silas. Awesome. Let's both go do the will of the Father and trust that everything that He wants to accomplish will be accomplished. So I just want to, I'm going to get back to the encouraging thing. I just want to leave us with three things that I would love for us to do, just kind of follow up things. The first is, what am I encouraging myself with? You know, uh, David it talks about that he strengthened himself, encouraged himself in the Lord. Where do I find my encouragement? I think if, if Jesus is Lord and Jesus is the Word, the Word became flesh, which is who Jesus is, then a great place to find our encouragement and to strengthen ourselves is in the Word. Knowing the Word. Get in the Word. You find yourself in the Word. You say, God, show me who I am in this situation because everything's screaming something else. God, show me the example that Jesus passed down for me to follow. Help me to walk in that, God. And guess what? As you do that, you build yourself up so that you have something to give away when you find somebody else that needs encouragement too. Because everything that we strengthen ourselves with becomes a weapon in our hand that we can encourage and strengthen others with. So where am I finding my strength and my encouragement? Is it primarily in Him? Or am I looking for it in people? Because it's one thing to be encouraged by people. It's another thing to be only encouraged by people and to only be doing as good as somebody's ability to encourage you. Come on. If you're sitting around saying, I just wish someone would encourage me, get in the Word and encourage yourself. Find the truth in the Word. He'll send people to encourage you, but not at the expense of you knowing Him. And if Him sending somebody to encourage you would keep you from finding Him in the Word and encouraging yourself, He'll hold it back until you do. Because he's more committed to your well-being than he is to your comfort. Second thing is, who am I encouraging? 
You know the word says encourage each other daily? If that's the case, then that means that every single day I should be encouraging somebody. Who am I encouraging? And how am I encouraging them? So if I'm encouraging myself in the Lord, that's step one, because now I have something worth encouraging people with. I'm not going by worldly wisdom, psychology, experience, feelings, emotions, circumstances, and all that stuff that can lead me astray. I'm encouraging and strengthening myself in the Lord. So now when I find myself in a situation where someone needs to be encouraged, what I have, I give, because freely I've received, now freely I give. Who am I encouraging? Ask ourselves this. Like, don't, don't ever just hear a message and leave and not let it change us because we're changed by His Word. Ask myself, where am I finding my encouragement and who am I encouraging with what I'm finding? And the last thing, I promise I'm closing with this. Who's an encourager in my life? Go find them and thank them and learn from them. I have someone in my life who I, it just encourages me constantly. I will wake up to just random texts from him. God, Roy, God is so for you. He so loves you. He is so with you. Keep going. You're doing an awesome job trusting him and letting him lead you and guide you. I'm for you. I'm with you. I'm praying for you. Just know God is so proud. Heaven smiles over you and Patty's life. You read stuff like that in the morning and it's like... Come on, when you already feel that inside because you know the heart of the Father and then all of a sudden by the mouth of two or three, every word is established, that starts to become established in you. Now you're not walking out hoping to find that in the course of a day. You start your day with that. Now I've got something inside of me. I can turn around and say that to somebody else. Find them and thank them. Encourage the encourager. You know why? Because sometimes people are so busy encouraging people and they always seem to be doing good and everybody assumes that because of that they don't need to be encouraged ever. I promise you that's not true. Everybody needs encouragement. Otherwise, the Word wouldn't say encourage each other daily. He's not superfluous. He's not just putting stuff in there to make the Bible one line longer. If there's a command to encourage each other daily, that's because there's a need for daily encouragement. Come on, it's in the Word. God, I thank You for Your Word. God, I thank You that You are our source, Lord. I pray that we would find ourselves in Your Word, God, that we would be so encouraged by Your truth that we would never let what is happening in someone else's life by the enemy shut down what's happening in my life because of You, God. That I would see myself because of who's in me and what I carry and the truth that You've shared with me and entrusted to me as the answer to problems. I thank You for that, God. I thank You for giving us hearts of compassion towards people, God, that we know how and when to encourage people, God. We know how and when. The word fitly spoken in season is like apples on settings of silver, God. That a word that is true spoken when you say to say it, God. The word is the apple. The, the silver plate is the timing, God. That we would be so sensitive to You to know when and what to say, Father. That we wouldn't just run in with our truth and leave people bleeding. That we would have walked in and presented in a way that's beautiful and that actually changes their lives. I thank You for that, God. I ask that You would make every one of us an encourager. God, take anything from our lips that is not an encouragement. Let the meditation of our heart, God, and the words of our mouth be pleasing in Your sight, God. Let what we think about be pleasing to You and let what comes from our mouth be pleasing to You. God, let us get past just the filter of truth and into the filter of lovely, excellent, worthy of praise of good report, God. Let us think about these things and consider these things and change the way we live because of what Your Word says. That we would be such an encouragement that if anyone's ever talking about me, I'm thankful because I know what they're doing. They're building me up. They're believing me. They're encouraging me. They're making a way. I thank You for that, God. In Jesus' name, Amen.